This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 16, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The United States once consciously avoided entangling alliances around the globe. Ben Friedman, a research fellow in defense and homeland security studies at the Cato Institute, says the United States should return to its strategy of restraint, cut the military, and quit making dubious promises to defend various regions of the world. What does a strategy of restraint entail? Several things. Uh, number one, it entails a lessening of our overseas alliances. So we've learned during the Cold War that, or we think we learned, to, uh, that our security depends on defending major industrial regions of the world from something. In the Cold War, that was the Soviet Union. Now it's rather unclear what it is. China, maybe a resurgent Russia, something like that. So under a strategy of restraint, the United States would say to Japan and its allies in Europe, its friends in Europe, that they're on their own, that they can be responsible for their own defense, that they're rich nations, and that uh, we're not going to tell them what to do, but we're going to withdraw our troops uh, from 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 their shores and allow them to take care of themselves. Korea also, we would withdraw our troops from Korea because Korea's GDP is 20 times, uh, South Korea's GDP is 20 times bigger than North Korea's GDP and its army, South Korea's army is far more than capable of taking care of itself. Also under restraint, we would uh, lessen our proclivity to get involved in civil wars. So people talk about fixing failed states, nation building. Uh, we would try to avoid that because we think those are basically problems of politics, foreign politics, and not problems that the United States has the answer to. As we see today in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's very difficult to restore order abroad, and where we don't need to do it, we should avoid it. Those those wars should be a a last resort, as I think uh, Afghanistan was, not something we're eager to do. Additionally, under restraint, because we're doing less in the world, we could cut the military budget substantially, maybe by 40 or 50 percent. We could have less a significantly smaller army and Marine Corps, maybe uh, half as big uh, uh, in, in combat forces, and uh, we could have less air power and maybe slight cuts in the Navy. So there'd be a lot of cost savings for the, for the American taxpayer. You can go all the way back to the Founding Fathers. You know, We all know that George Washington talked about avoiding entangling alliances overseas, that John Quincy Adams said the United States' job is to be a, a model of democracy, to uh, show other country how, countries how it's done, not to go in search of monsters to destroy, as he put it. Um, so there's a long you know, tradition going back to the Founding Fathers. Now, a lot of people would say when the United States became powerful at the end of the 19th century, we started to go uh, around the world and do things because we could, because we could afford a big navy and a big army and all that. But even into the 20th century, George Kennan and Hans Morgenthau and realists of that ilk argued against uh, permanent U.S. military forces abroad, even in Europe, during the Cold War. So there's a long and uh, rich tradition of United States uh, foreign policy intellectuals arguing against uh, overly activist foreign policy. Well, what gives the people who argue for an activist foreign policy uh, the courage of their convictions? What what events do they typically point to? Well, I think there's two things. And what you just pointed to is ideology. In other words, the ideas held by foreign policy elites and the ideas held by foreign policy elites are largely informed by the Cold War in that it's the lessons we learn, not just from the Cold War, actually, but from the Cold War and World War II, are that we have to be out there. We have to be activists. World War II happened. Hitler rose because the United States didn't act during the 1930s to suppress him. The United States succeeded in the Cold War because it learned that lesson and put its forces into Europe to defend them from the Soviet Union because we were activists around the world and defending people from communism. So there's this idea 
uh, an ideology that uh, that activism is the way to go, and that's informed by lessons of history. But there's another part of it which uh, we could we could refer to as the structure of the international system, which is during the Cold War. Uh, even though United States forces were deployed abroad and we did, we had a fairly activist foreign policy, we were restra restrained in some ways by the Soviet Union and by what political scientists call bipolarity, in that uh, for every uh, thing the United States did, you had to worry about a reaction of the Soviet Union. You had to worry that if you started a, a war somewhere, if you escalated Vietnam or Korea, that the, that the Soviets would respond and that you could have a, a holocaust. So that, that uh, induced an element of restraint into the United States foreign policy, as did the simple fact that troops that we used doing one thing would uh, take them away from Europe, where the main struggle in the Cold War was. So the, the Cold War, the structure of the system had a restraining effect on the United States. In the wake of the Cold War, that's gone. So there's no structural check on what we want to do around the world. And they, that combines with the ideology that I just mentioned to uh, create a fairly potent mix in favor of activism and running around and injecting ourselves into every dispute around the world. You know, how do we get from here to there in terms of uh, re-engaging the use of restraint uh, in the military? Uh, I'm actually somewhat pessimistic because uh, one of the two factors I just mentioned, which is the structure of the international system where we've moved to unipolarity, uh, where the, there's really nothing restricting the United States from doing a lot of stuff is something I can't control or people who agree with me can't control. There's nothing to be done about that. So to the extent that influences our activism, it's irreversible. However, ideology can change and lessons can be relearned uh, and uh, for better or for worse, and almost certainly for worse, the Iraq war is teaching the United States uh, a bit of a lesson about the limits of our power in reordering foreign societies, and that might have effects on our posture overseas, and particularly our willingness to intervene in failed states and to get mixed up in other people's civil wars. So I think an element of restraint uh, might be induced by the war, which is tragic, uh, uh, but nonetheless might be the case. Other than that, I think one of the things that can be done uh, to... Uh, create a degree of restraint in U.S. foreign policy is cutting the defense budget. For rather obvious reasons, if we have less capability to do things, we're less likely to uh, get mixed up in a lot of different areas. So less ability to intervene uh, rather naturally leads to less interventions. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security studies at the Cato Institute. His co-authored policy analysis, Learning the Right Lessons from Iraq, is available at Cato.org.